Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. You're listening to CNN Town Halls and Debates, your direct source to the people shaping your world. It's a forum for you to get answers to the tough questions and better understand the issues that matter to you. We're bringing this episode to you uncut and unfiltered, straight from the national stage. And it all starts right here, right now, on CNN. Good evening and welcome to a CNN Democratic Presidential Town Hall with Governor Jay Inslee of Washington State. I'm Wolf Blitzer. Governor Inslee is framing his campaign around a single issue, climate change. He says this is the 11th hour to solve the problem, and if elected, he'll make climate change the number one priority of the United States. Tonight, Governor Inslee will take questions from Democrats and independents who say they plan to participate in the Democratic primaries and caucuses. Please welcome Governor Jay Inslee. Hey, buddy. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Seated. Governor Inslee, we've got a lot of questions from you from this audience, uh, questions on climate change, a lot of other issues. I want to get right to the first question. Uh, that's from Edward Casella. He's a student at American University here in Washington. Edward, go ahead. As a college student who studies environmental science, I don't understand why the White House has openly denied science and willingly proposes initiatives to bolster the United States' production of coal. I'm afraid of what is to come if we don't act on climate now. I've yet to decide who I support for president in 2020, but what can you say to me and others in my generation that are on the verge of losing hope due to political inaction on climate change? Uh, Well, Edward, let me help you decide who to vote for for president in the United (laughs) States. I have some kindly words of wisdom. Before we do that, though, could we thank CNN and Wolf for what they're doing to help us make a rational choice for president? Thank you, Wolf. Thank you. Well, Edward, here's what I would tell you, and this is a little bit of personal advice. We know how dire the situation is. We know, you and I know, that we are the first generation to feel the sting of climate change, and we are the last generation, literally, who can do something about it. So we know that this is a unique moment in American history, and actually in human history, because it's a moment of urgent peril, but it is also a moment of great promise where we can build a clean energy economy and put people to work by the millions defeating climate change. And I believe it's actually very important, and I appreciate you coming here tonight to talk about this, because at the same time we have to be scientifically literate, we also have to understand something basic in the American character. And that is that we are a can-do people. We are an optimistic people. We are the people that defeated fascism and went went to the moon. And people who have the capability of rallying to great challenges now can do the same thing, if we get inspiration from the White House like we got John F. Kennedy. Now, I've been fighting this battle, uh, Eduardo, for for 20 years. 
So I know you've got to keep your, your spirits up. I will tell you something I've learned. You know what the, the most important renewable energy fuel is in America? It's perseverance. And we've got this big time. And now when we get a president of the United States that understands that wind turbines don't cause cancer, they cause jobs, okay? They cause jobs. Governor, we'll know what to do. Governor, you've called the Green New Deal, uh, in your words, an aspirational document. You embrace it in sentiment, but do you fully endorse it? Well, I endorse exactly what, there, what is going on here, which is this has done three really beneficial things for America. Number one, it's got people talking about climate change. You know, this is one of the reasons I'm running. Uh, there was only four minutes of climate change in the last three presidential debates. I'm going to end that. Number two, uh, it has also raised people's ambition as to the scope of the challenge. Look, we have to decarbonize our entire economy in the next several decades. This is a massive reindustrialization of America. And I think the Green New Deal has succeeded in helping people understand that. And third, and this is really important, it has led people to recognize that we uh, have to not have not just a transition, we have to have a just transition to clean energy. We're the first victims of climate change, which are marginalized communities get helped in, in communities of color. That has been a very successful thing. All right, let's bring in uh, Juliet Henry from Texas. She's studying uh, communications at American University. Hi. Um, I was wondering if you could describe what a transition to a greener economy would actually look like. Um, and also, what would you have to say to Americans who live in coal, gas, and oil-dependent economies? Well, what it would look like uh, is a, a presidency where we have someone who has made a pledge to the American people that I will make you this pledge right now. If I am elected to this high honor, I will make defeating climate change the number one priority of the United States. And I believe I can accomplish that. And the reason is, is that now people are understanding the loss that people are suffering from this. It's interesting, I met a, a woman named uh, Marsha Moss. I was at Seminole Springs. It was a, a community, beautiful little community of mobile homes that got devastated, over 100 homes. And after I was done touring it, this woman named Marsha Moss asked me to come to her house to show me what was left of everything she owned. And she showed me, my house is destroyed. I only have two things to sustain me right now. One is my driveway, because I built it. She had this beautiful little rock inlay she did, and I'm proud of that. But the other thing that sustains me is hope that we're going to build clean energy future so that we reduce carbon dioxide so that the Western United States is not consumed by these forest fires. And she was happy that I provided her that hope. That's what an administration looks like. 100% clean electricity, millions of new jobs, a just transition, and this it is time to end the gravy train of giving $27 billion to the oil and gas industry of hard-earned taxpayer money. That money needs to go. Governor, you just said 100% clean electricity, clean yes. energy. Yes. So what happens to the approximately 1.2 million Americans right now still work in fossil fuel extraction and power generation? Yeah, and I appreciated her question. And because and, I wanted to ask the second part of your question. It's a very important question. Look, one of the things we talk about in this is that we need a just transition. This is going to be a huge transition. We are a fossil fuel-based economy largely right now, and we know we're going to have to go to clean energy sources by the mid-century. This is just a scientific fact. But while we do this, we have to make sure that people during that transition have opportunities along with everyone else. 
So we need to do the kind of things we've done in Centralia, Washington, uh, where we are closing our last coal-fired plant to have a, uh, about a $55 million fund to help those employees in training and transition assistance, to help businesses where we can make sure that local economy continues to thrive, and give it a transition period of several years so that there's not uh, you know, trauma for these families. This is very important. But we know we can do this, and I'll tell you why. We are a country of unparalleled uh, uh, innovative talent. I know that in my state. We've invented digital you know, economy, uh, the first successful jet airplane, the artificial kidney machine. We even invented the $4 cup of coffee in Washington <laughs> State. And we know that there are going to be jobs aplenty. It's interesting. There are 3 million people. You mentioned a million in fossil fuels. There's 3 million people tonight working in clean energy in the United States. It's growing twice as fast as the rest of the U.S. economy. The most rapidly growing job in America is solar installer. And second is wind turbine techni uh, technician. This is a future that I believe it is our destiny to grasp. And when we do it, we're going to bring everybody along. That's the American way, and I'm pledging that tonight. Governor, we got a question from Evan Brooks. He's studying environmental science as a member of the College Democrats at the University of Maryland. Hello, Governor Isney. One of the strengths of your campaign is the environment. Unfortunately, there has not been much information about your stances on several other issues. Mm -hmm. Recently, Nipsey Hussle, a well-respected community leader, activist, and artist who's attempting to do good in his community, was tragically gunned mm. down. Mm -hmm. How will you attempt to fix the gun epidemic and how will you improve gun violence in urban areas where gun violence is entrenched? Well, this is something that is uh, near to my heart that I've been fighting now for uh, over a quarter of a century. Uh, I've known that it is time to confront the NRA and develop common sense gun legislation for a quarter of a century. And I'll give you an example of that because, you know, sometimes politicians talk and don't back up with action. Have you noticed this? Well, in 1994, when I was a freshman legislator, I was representing Eastern Washington. It was a very Republican area, very agricultural area. And uh, a lot of hunting folks, a lot of racks and pickups. But we needed just a few votes to pass the assault weapon bill. And I knew if I cast that vote, I was probably going to lose my seat in Congress, which is hard to do because I liked it at the time. And um, people said, look, you're going to lose your seat if you vote for this. I voted for that bill. I provided one of the critical votes to get it over the top. I lost my seat, but I have never regretted that vote because I do not believe any congressman's or politician's seat is more important than any child's life. And I fundamentally believe that. So, Governor, so we've done a lot more. We've passed three, we have passed three major gun safety legislations by initiative in our state and we're not done yet. We are not going to back up against the NRA. We have them on the run. This country is moving forward to common sense gun legislation. I'm glad to be part of that. Thanks. All right, we got a question. Uh, Deanna Redder is a student uh, focusing on psychology at Catholic University. Given that Washington State has legalized marijuana, what is your view on legalizing marijuana across the country? Thank you. And I missed your name. I'm sorry. Was... Deanna Rutter. Deanna, listen, I appreciate that because I, I'm happy to share Washington's experience, which is that we legalized marijuana several years ago. And the fears of a number, including myself, I actually did not support the initiative when it came up several years ago because I was concerned about youthful usage. 
But what we have found is that those fears have not come to pass. And I'm happy to share that with the rest of the world. We have not had adverse health results with our young people. We have not had rampant criminality in the distribution of marijuana. And it has been helpful by providing about $700 million of revenue so that we can help the health of our children and schools for our children. So it has been an unalloyed success in the state of Washington. And it is my belief it is time for the United States to decriminalize and legalize marijuana. I, I believe that very, very firmly. Now, this is just part of our effort to right some of the injustice in our judicial system, too. Because the drug war has been one of the elements of such racial disparities in our judicial system. And we need to bring justice back into the justice system. That's one of the reasons I was the first governor to often par offer pardons to over 3,000 people with marijuana convictions, because the drug war has resu resulted in too much racial disparity. So I hope we get the whole country to follow Washington's lead. By the way, I think that sounds like a theme. Follow Washington's lead. Look west for success. I kind of like that. <laughs> governor, uh, you mentioned the crime bill. When you were a U.S. congressman, uh, you voted in 1994 for the 1994 crime bill, which included stiffer penalties for drug crimes, contributing to the mass incarceration of a lot of people of color, as you know. Do you now regret that vote? And if elected, what would you do to make up for it? Well, uh, listen, that was a situation where many Democrats, including myself, believed that we needed some response to the epidemic of crime at the time. But I will tell you that this, if I knew then what I know now, I would not have cast that vote because it has resulted in racial disparities in our system. So since then, I have been very dedicated in helping to right the disparities that exist. And they don't they didn't happen just because of that bill. They've been very deeply ingrained in our society. I'll just give you an example of the things I've done. Uh, we know that, uh, that the drug war has been one of the reasons for racial disparities. We know that having panels of just white folks when you got a black defendant on a criminal trial is not a healthy thing. So we've changed our rules to try to get more diverse jury panels. We have uh, adopted what I think could be the template of a law to try to reduce police violence so we don't get so much police violence, particularly against people in the communities of color. And we are training people, police officers, in de-escalation tactics so they do not uh, get involved in violence against communities of color. All of these things are very important. Now, we're doing a bunch of other more long-term efforts as well. Which well, we let, me, talk let me ask you, as president, you would have the pardon power, the power yes. to pardon individuals. How far would you take that pardon power on this specific issue? Well, I'd be very pressed to take it to Donald Trump. I'll tell you that. That would be very uh, challenging. Uh, no, on this issue. No, I have used the pardon power uh, to try to right wrongs probably more aggressively than certainly my predecessors, where we have found untoward sentences. And I've also been working to reduce the, the time period of sentences. I will tell you, in my state, I think we have people for property crimes that are ser serving too long in jail when they could be having rehabilitation and training so that they don't have recidivism. And I, I've been frustrated because I've not been able to get my legislature to join me yet. But this is an ongoing effort, and I look further to future success. Governor, uh, we've got a lot more uh, questions for you. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with more from CNN's Democratic Presidential Town Hall with Governor Jay Inslee. Stay right here. 
After the break, more from CNN town halls and debates. Stay tuned. Welcome back to CNN's Democratic Presidential Town Hall with Governor Jay Inslee. Uh, Governor, we got another question. Sam, in Trader, a freshman at the University of Maryland College Park, he's studying theater and politics. Good evening, Governor. Good evening. Uh, Donald Trump ordered thousands of children to be permanently taken from their parents in an evil act of intentional cruelty. How can the Democrats justify failing to impeach Trump for this? And haven't the Democrats normalized this conduct by failing to impeach him? Uh, tough question. Uh, this is a tough question because we know his multiple outrages. Look, when I heard about this child separation, my blood just wanted to boil. And you asked Trudy, she's been married to me for 46 years, and she thinks that was the hottest I've ever been. So in a bad way. <laughs> Good. So, so, I mean, really, this just makes you so angry. I had the same thing when I heard about the Muslim ban. I was I was actually getting on my bike to go for a ride. My chief of staff called me and said, they're, they're banning Muslims from coming in from Seattle International Airport. I just said, you're kidding me. And that, so I got off, went down to SeaTac, tried to help those families to become reunited. And it was quite a scene, too, because there were actually, like, husbands 50 feet away from giving their wife a hug after not seeing them, and then Donald Trump's policies uh, separate them. So this is a really hard issue, and I have not faced it because I'm a governor. I don't exactly have that. I believe the current situation right now is we should have a dramatic, engaged, concerted, energetic, and successful effort in November 2020 to make Donald Trump a blip in history. That's what I believe. And I believe that is today, today, today I think that is the most fruitful and potentially successful because just filing articles of impeachment, as you know, doesn't solve the trick. You have to have a conviction in the Senate. So for my money at the moment, we're doing what we should do, which is to get ready to remove this person from this high office and remain very vigilant about getting information because it may turn out a lot more dark things that we don't know about yet. We're not done with this investigation. You know, for instance, uh, they just discovered a black hole. Did you see the picture, the first black hole they ever <laughs> taken a picture of it? We think Donald Trump's tax returns are in there somewhere. So <laughs> I got it. I think we need those tax returns. You mentioned the, the travel ban. Your state, Washington State, has been very aggressive uh, in confronting President Trump on the travel ban, family separation at right. the border, weakening of Obamacare, the Affordable Care Act. Do you see yourself as part of the so-called resistance? Um, not just part of it, but I like to think of myself as a leader of it because he has offended so many values that offend my state and injure my people. Look, this is serious business. Uh, we have provided 800,000 people health insurance because of Obamacare, thanks to the leadership of President Barack Obama. And we have 20,000 people who are getting treatment for opioid problems. So we, hear, we have this opioid crisis, and this person in the White House, for only political reasons, wants to strip my citizens of health care. And I have trouble thinking of a more venal thing to actually try to do. And I hope he's not successful. Right. So we have been fighting him. 
We have sued him as much or more than any other state, and I'm proud to stand here to tell you that we are 18-0. and 0. We have beat him 18 times in a row in the fall. Governor. Continuing on health care, which is yeah. obviously so yeah. critically important. I want to bring in Laura Kaplan-Weissman, a family uh, physician from Maryland. She's a member of Our Revolution. That's a political group aligned with Senator Bernie Sanders. Laura? Yeah. Um, I'm a primary care physician. Many of my patients who have survived life-threatening illness have subsequently experienced medical bankruptcy, some even having to move to a homeless shelter due to exorbitantly high medical bills. Mm-hmm. On review of your public option plan for Washington State, it is unclear how this crisis can be prevented. How would you reform our health care system to prevent medical bankruptcy? Well, as you noted in our state, Laura, we are going to be hopefully the first state to have a public option. And it's one step, just one step forward, which would provide the state to provide a mechanism to get insurance for those who don't have access to the private markets or Medicaid. And I'm very hopeful that this can be an example for the rest of the country. And I I do think there is a little bit of a refrain tonight because I do believe my state can be a template for the for a lot of things, including health care. But that won't be the end of it. We will have to expand federal health care dramatically. I believe we should lower the age for Medicare. I believe we should allow people to buy into Medicare so you can have Medicare for people who want it right now. I think we should explore potentially enrolling you know, new folks into, into health care when they're born. So there is much more to be done in the health care realm. But I will share this with you. Um, we are not going to be able to get health care done or anything else for that matter unless we get rid of the filibuster. And I was the first candidate in this race running for president to be very unequivocal about this. If the filibuster is still in Mitch McConnell's hand uh, come 2021, all hope is sort of down the tubes to be able to do real significant reform. So I'm telling you, uh, if I'm given this high honor, I will lead the charge to end this senatorial privilege, which is an ancient artifact of a bygone time. And let's get some health care reform and climate change legislation and reform the United States of America. That's what I'm president for. Governor, we have a question from Julia Wanning Zimmer. She's originally from uh, Missouri, but now a sophomore at American University studying political science and public relations. Julia. Hi. um, As a student working three jobs to pay for an incredibly expensive school Mm. in order to have a successful career in the future, I am terrified about how how I will pay off my loans in the future. So how will you help me and the hundreds of thousands of other students like me with our growing student debt? Julie, I know how tough this is. It's just it's such a burden. I, I can't imagine. It's tough enough going out into a job market looking for your first job and having to put on a clean shirt and that's a lot of anxiety. So having this burden is, is something I know your generation is really struggling with. Uh, what I would suggest is that I would hope the things that we have done in our state, again, could be a model for success in the United States. So one of the things we've done is we've reduced tuition. And tuition is one of your burdens. We haven't cut it in half, but we've reduced it. This is a small help. Secondly, we have uh, dramatically increased access to financial aid. And we've done it in a really smart way. We've probably 20 or 30 percent increase eventually we will have as to the number of students who are getting financial aid. And I'm proud of our state because I think they've done it the right way. We have targeted the financial aid to those who are really most in the need, which are the lower, you know, quintile or quartile of our students. And we have given them not just free tuition, but we've given them the full meal deal because it takes a lot more than tuition Free tuition doesn't solve the problem. You have to be able to eat while you're going to school. 
and you have to be able to buy books and take care of your transportation needs. So our plan is really probably the richest in America, and that is a, a template for success that I hope to follow as president of the United States. Governor, uh, when you finished high school, you got accepted to a great school, Stanford University, California. Mm -hmm. You went there for a year, but you couldn't afford to stay there without taking out some student loans. So you decided you would leave rather than take out the loan. Why? Uh, basically, I'm kind of a cheap guy when it gets right down to it. Uh, really, I, I love Stanford. I had a great year there. Got to play freshman basketball, but did not win a scholarship. So that was out of the question. And uh, I actually don't know if I could have obtained enough student loans. I, I didn't really check, to be honest with you. But I did go up uh, then to the University of Washington, which is another great school, and uh, majored in economics. Uh, then went to Willamette Law School, then went to try to build a school in Sela, Washington. And we had trouble passing the bond issue. We passed it on the seventh try. And as soon as we passed it on the seventh try, the knuckleheads in the legislature cut the funding like in half. And that didn't seem right to me. So I decided to run for the legislature, and I was, I was prompted by this issue of education. And that's why I can tell you that one of my proudest, really, achievements, I think, is in the last few years, we've had huge increases of early child education, huge increases in financial aid, and maybe the best of all, uh, I've made sure that our teachers get a an average of a 12% wage, so we can keep those great teachers in the classroom. They don't all go to Amazon or Microsoft. That's an educational agenda that started back here at the University of Washington. Companies close to your heart. Yeah. We're going to take another quick break. We're going to be back with much more uh, from CNN's uh, Democratic Presidential Town Hall with Governor Jay Inslee. Stay right here. We'll be right back. After the break, more from CNN Town Halls and Debates. Stay tuned. Welcome back to CNN's Democratic Presidential Town Hall with Governor Jay Inslee. Governor, we have a, another questioner, uh, Robert Norwood. Uh, he's originally from Iowa, now studying at American University. Hmm. Good evening. When it came to the grounding of the Boeing 737 MAX aircraft, the U.S. was one of the last countries to do so. If you were in President Trump's position, how would have you handled the situation? Um, Robert, I really appreciate that question. And it's a difficult one because this has been very difficult. I, I come from sort of a Boeing neighborhood and families. My best friend, uh, dad was a Boeing engineer in the 727. My uncle was a manager. My cousins are Boeing. So this has been a very painful thing for the people who make these airplanes. But I have to tell you, uh, uh, I would have grounded these uh, jets much sooner. And uh, don't hold me totally to this, because I, I didn't have all of the briefing. But uh, I would have been given serious consideration to grounding them after the first loss. And the reason is, is that it appeared to me at the time that there was sufficient evidence of a, of a significant malfunction to warrant that. I do not believe the administration acted uh, with the uh, alertness that they should have. And I just feel terribly about this loss. I'm very hopeful that the Boeing company will succeed in fixing this problem. I know that they will make every commitment to do so. And I just have to tell you that, that one of the kind of overlaying concerns about this incident is that this administration has so frequently turned over the entire federal government to lobbyists for the regulated industries 
that it's very difficult to have confidence in anything they do. Look, in the Interior Department, they turned uh, over our, our favorite public lands to a lobbyist for the fossil fuel industry. And now we're seeing wholesale uh, removals of laws that protect us in the United States. And that has created such justifiable doubt that in any hard decision like this, how could you trust this administration? I think it's time for a change in the White House so you can trust somebody there to make good decisions. Governor, uh, we have a, a question from another, uh, a, a question about another big employer in your state, Washington State. I want to bring in Christian Quigley from Massachusetts, student at Catholic University. He's also the vice president of the school's college Democrats. Christian. Sir, as the governor of the state where multiple multi-billion dollar companies have been founded, such as Amazon, how do you feel about these companies going out to districts and saying they want to provide jobs, yet they really want to receive tax breaks? Mm. Uh, very disturbed by this, and I have to tell you that uh, we have a very unfortunate situation for citizens across the United States, and that is large corporations now can basically threaten the taxpayers saying, if you don't give me a few million dollars tax breaks, we'll move your jobs, you know, to a different location. It can also force communities to compete against one another to see who can give them the sweetest deal on tax breaks. I just do not believe that's healthy for the economy, and I do not believe it is just for citizens and taxpayers. So I believe we have to find a way to stop this pernicious uh, process. And one of those ways, and we're still thinking about this, but we may be able to use the federal tax code to make it that corporations can't do this because they'd essentially have some tax exposure if they ended up gutting taxpayers because they've threatened them with this sort of extortion. Yep. So I think we got to think about ways to attack this. Governor, uh, I want to go back to Boeing for a moment. Uh, it's a sensitive issue. In 2013, you offered the company, Boeing, based in uh, Washington State, an $8.7 billion tax break mm-hmm. to maintain and grow its workforce in Washington State. But what followed was four straight years of job cuts mm-hmm. at Boeing, uh, even with a slight uptick in 2018, Boeing still has fewer employees than it did before you enacted right. that tax break. Did you make a bad deal? Uh, I made an uh, uh, unfortunately necessary deal, and this is one of the things we just talked about this question. Boeing should not have been able to threaten the state of Washington to move 20,000 jobs out of our, our community. We're the best place to make airplanes and have been for many decades. But they threatened my state and 20,000 jobs unless they got certain tax benefits. I liken that as kind of extortion in a sense, and I don't think that's right. I think we should be protected from that type of behavior. Now, my job is to help grow jobs in the state of Washington, and fortunately, we're doing quite well. We've been listed as uh, the best place to do business by CNBC and the best place to be an employee by Oxfam, and we've got the greatest GDP growth and the greatest Uh, wage growth in the United States. So we have been able to be successful because we have had successful job creating opportunities in part through clean energy. Just one other comment of something I think the rest of the country will find of interest. Uh, You know, the Republicans basically say that if you do anything for working families, you'll crater your economy. Well, guess what? Washington State, uh, since I've been governor, now has the highest minimum wage in the United States with the most rapid 
period of GDP growth in the United States. We have blown up the Republican theory of trickle-down economics. We're building a middle class. We know that we build an economy, the middle out, not the top down. This is what we're doing in Washington State, and it's working big time. Governor. I want to bring in uh, Joseph Kitchen. He's an administrator at a school here in Washington, D.C. He's president of the Young Democrats of Maryland. He was a delegate to the Democratic National Convention in 2016 for Hillary Clinton. Good evening, Governor. Good evening. Um, I wanted to ask you about your state. Um, in 2013, your legislature failed to pass a budget agreement on time. You and your, the legislature were forced to call two additional legislative sessions to get to agreement. Mm-hmm. It happened again in 2017. Mm-hmm. And as of today, with a deadline of April 28th, you still have not reached a budget agreement. After 34 hard days of failing to reach a budget agreement here in Washington, why should we believe that you would do better? Well, uh, I will tell you one thing for sure. Donald Trump would not have done better in Washington State. I will tell you that for sure. And there is no reason to believe that he would have been more successful corralling, corralling legislators to reach an agreement. This has been very frustrating to me, in part because I've had uh, the great uh, uh, pleasure of having a Republican majority in my Senate until very, very recently. And that has made it reaching agreement very, very difficult. And I have found you just need to be persistent to make sure that you finally get consensus. But I will tell you something that, as far as the nature of your question, why you should be confident I can get this job done. Uh, While I've been a leader with a Republican Senate, we were able to pass the largest transportation package in the history of the state on a bipartisan basis, even though the Republicans said no for four years. I just kept at it. We were also able to pass the largest educational budget where we put several billion dollars with a teacher pay increase of 12 percent a year uh, into our budget, again, on a bipartisan basis. So I am able to work uh, where necessary and where appropriate for Republicans. But I will tell you this, I'm never going to surrender a woman's right of choice to the Republicans. I'm never going to go backwards when I've eliminated the death penalty and I'm firm in my conviction. I'm not going to go backwards when they want to repeal gun laws. I'm not going to go backwards when they want to repeal minimum wage and the best paid family leave in America. I'm sticking with that. Don't care who All right, Governor. We're going to take another quick break. We'll be right back with more from CNN's Democratic Presidential Town Hall with Governor Jay Inslee. After the break, more from CNN Town Halls and Debates. Stay tuned. Welcome back to CNN's Democratic Presidential Town Hall with Governor Jay Inslee. Uh, Governor, I want to bring in Michael Cohen. He's uh, getting a master's degree at the Johns Hopkins University School of Advanced International Studies here in Washington, my alma mater. Go ahead. (laughs) Governor Inslee, President Trump has taken a sledgehammer to the global security order established by the United States and its allies decades ago. He's attacked NATO, undermined our alliance with South Korea, and cozied up the dictators around the world. What will you do to restore American leadership and credibility in the international arena? Uh, well, defeat Donald Trump, which I'm ready to do. That's number one. Is the, the first thing I got to do. And by the way, I'm, I'm pretty confident about that. I, I believe that I'm a perfect uh, matchup against him uh, because I'm a very optimistic person, and he's a very pessimistic person. I believe in a the ability of America to do big things. He thinks he wants to crawl down and just put a wall around us. I believe we're technologically oriented and he refuses to invest in 
new energy technologies. So I do believe actually I'm a very good contrast. But in, in answer to your question, uh, I have a fundamentally disagreement with Donald Trump. He has a worldview, if I was going to categorize it, of thinking that for him to win, somebody else has to lose. And I really believe he extends that to our international policies. So that the only way he believes America can succeed, if another country somehow is subjugated or loses some treaty right, or isn't able to exercise their dignity. And that's just a really dangerous policy because it has, as you've indicated, damaged us in our international relations. Uh, uh, the, the decision to, to void the Iran deal, which was a very carefully calibrated effort to rein in and is our best hope to prevent uh, a dangerous Iran. Uh, his effort to withdraw from the Paris Agreement. You know, he, he's made this big argument that, you know, China and India should do more right, for climate change, it's not exactly going to be inspiring him for them to do more if we decide to do less. So this is really a dangerous position he has put the United States in, not to mention the national security threats associated with climate change. I, I met with admirals and generals in Seattle a few weeks ago, and they were telling me that the Pentagon's hair is on fire about the, the mass migrations that are going to happen because of climate change creating political instability. So I do believe he has reduced our national security, not increased it. I would have a diametrically opposed position. Governor. I want to bring in Matt Fitzpatrick, an associate professor of ecology at the University of Maryland, uh, the Center for Environmental Science. Go ahead. Thanks, Walt. Governor Inslee, some people have argued that nuclear power as a proven low-carbon energy source should be part of our strategy to fight climate change. Do you see nuclear power fitting into the U.S.'s strategy for addressing climate change? And if so, how do we develop nuclear safely, affordably, and with proper waste disposal? Well, I think the question shows why you, you're a good professor, because you know what the issues are here, which is, uh, look, I believe that the urgency is so, is so great and the time period so short to decarbonize our economy that we need to be open to any low-cost or, or low-carbon or zero-carbon technology. That includes nuclear. But, as you've pointed out in your question, there would have to be four things happen before nuclear power would be able to become a major part of our portfolio. It would have to become cost-effective, which it is not. It would have to be much safer with passive safety systems, which have not yet been developed. Uh, it would have to uh, solve the uh, waste problem with the waste stream, and it would have to win public acceptance. So my view is it is appropriate to make uh, R&D investments to determine whether any of those or all of those can be surmounted. I think that's a proper uh, investment. And I'll look forward to your thoughts uh, after the show. Governor, I want, I want to ask you about uh, an idea to fight climate change that sounds sort of like science fiction. It's called geoengineering. Uh, this could be sucking carbon from the atmosphere or reflecting heat away from the earth to cool the planet? Should taxpayers pay, taxpayers fund these potential ideas? Well, I, I, as I've indicated, uh, this is such a challenge that we are going to need to do research and development on things that may not have a probability of success. We're going to have to make some R&D investments like we do frequently on technologies, some of which don't pan out. I do believe that carbon sequestration measures, for instance, finding a way to sequester carbon in topsoil so that farmers can be part of this effort 
to do no and low-till drill so that we can get carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere into the topsoil, for instance, or into our forests and our timber. I think those things uh, make sense. And we need to dramatically increase our R&D. Look, a few years ago, I checked, we were spending more money on R&D on one Jeep than the entire clean energy budget of the United States. This has to be an effort like when we defeated fascism and like we went to the moon, which required major, major R&D. Now, can I take a minute and tell you why I'm running for president? Is this appropriate? One minute. Um, Look, I, I, I have loved being governor of the state of Washington. It's a very successful state. I've been a very successful governor. I think it's a template, a template for how we can build an economy in the U.S. But this, this is such a threat to my grandchildren. I've got three grandkids, and I know they are going to live a very degraded life and will not enjoy what I have enjoyed in the state of Washington, which is salmon in the rivers and clean air to breathe and snow in the mountains and, and being free from infectious diseases. And I know to a moral certainty that they will leave, live a degraded life. So I've decided to run for president to make sure that this is the number one priority of the United States and to make sure that the Democratic Party has this in its sights when we nominate a person to run for this esteemed office. And I've committed myself body and soul to that effort. That's why I'm running for president of the United States. Yes, this is an economic growth issue of clean energy, but it is a moral issue very close to my heart. And that's why I'm in this race. And I mention this because if any of you happen to share that view, I hope you will make sure I'm on the stage in the debates in June. And to do that, we need 65,000 people to make some financial contribution at jinsley.com to make sure climate change is on the debate stage in June. If you believe it should be on the debate stage Tell your friends they can go to jnsley.com and we'll get this debated. Thank you. Governor, uh, we're going to take another quick break, but we have more that's coming up. More with uh, CNN's, uh, from CNN's Democratic Presidential Town Hall with Governor Jay Inslee right after this. After the break, more from CNN Town Halls and Debates. Stay tuned. Welcome back to CNN's Democratic Presidential Town Hall with Governor Jay Inslee. Governor, I want to bring in Maureen Coffey. She works in the Consumer Financial Protection in Virginia. She's also a member of the Arlington Young Democrats. Mm. Hi, Governor Inslee. Uh, so recently, several foreign countries have stopped purchasing our recyclable mm. plastic waste, mm-hmm. uh, which means that a lot of what we're putting in recycling bins now never actually gets mm-hmm. to the point of being recycled. Mm-hmm. How can we fix our broken recycling system? Maureen, you know, uh, I thought I had the answers to every question. But I do not have an answer to that. But next time we meet, I'm going to have a, a better approach. I know that I have a team of people who are looking for options on this. We know how important this is. But I will say, just to, to riff on the kind of nature of your question, uh, we've got to stop making products that end up having to be recycled, much less in a landfill. And that involves... And that that involves redesigning our systems, our packaging systems. I know that some of the big companies in my state are starting to do some major research to do that. We would like to support that research. We know that plastics are such an enormous environmental problem. Uh, The horrific stories we hear of of our whales who are ingesting plastic in this regard 
it suggests we have a lot of work to do, and, and, uh, and I believe I'm up to it. Governor, I want to bring in Mario Santo Domingo. Uh, he's studying government and politics <clears throat> at the University of Maryland. Hi, Governor. Hi. Primaries often involve litmus tests that assess whether or not a candidate is ide- ideologically pure enough to be nominated. But it is possible for a candidate to agree with some part of the opposing party's platform. I'm going to ask you a contrarian question. <laughs> is there any policy from the Republican Party platform that you agree with? Why or why not? Uh, yes, I firmly believe in the Republicans' approach that they insist that we have elections every four years for president <laughs> so we can get another president, okay? We need one. Mara, if I can, let me, if I can, let me come back to this issue, um, both of a filibuster and why uh, we have such, I have such prioritization on climate change. And it has to do some degree with the Republican Party. We have to understand, it's been very disappointing, the Republican Party has refused to embrace any meaningful way to combat climate change. We know we have a climate denier who calls climate change a hoax in the White House. And so because of that resistance, I know this with a political certainty. If this is not job one of defeating climate change, it will not get done. This cannot be just, you know, you have a to-do list on your refrigerator. We just can't have our nominee just have it on the to-do list. It's got to be on the top. Otherwise, we will not succeed in doing this because we have to understand that we don't have any support from the Republican Party at the moment. I would hope that would change. Won't it be a great day when a Teddy Roosevelt appears in the Republican Party? I would like to see that. Very quickly, Governor, uh, former President Barack Obama said the other day he was worried about rigidity among the Democratic candidates, the progressive Democrats. He said sometimes Democrats create a circular firing squad (laughs) when someone is straying from purity on the issues. Uh, Is he right? Well, I don't know what uh, President Obama was referring to, so I'll withhold judgment. But I do think uh, President Obama, who, who, uh, look, he's, he's a hero of mine. Uh, what he did for healthcare was truly magnificent. That, that was an act of leadership. What he did for climate change in his executive orders now and making sure we get off coal power in an appropriate transition period, uh, protecting clean water. By the way, the Trump administration today tried to announce they're going to take away, try to take away our state's ability to protect clean water that has been historically the state's. So uh, I'm a huge admirer of his. I I think he ought to be given the privilege of assuming a little bit of senior leader status, which on occasion allows you to uh, drop pearls of wisdom before folks and hope that they will follow them. And I think it is appropriate uh, to kind of ask us all to be in a consensus building mode in all groups, Democratic Party, United States House of Representatives. This is how you get things done. So uh, I'm going to follow his advice, and uh, I look forward to singing his praises everywhere I go. Governor, thank you so much uh, for joining us at the CNN uh, Democratic Presidential Town Hall. I want to thank our studio audience as well. And that concludes this episode of CNN Town Halls and Debates, your direct source to the people shaping your world. To make sure you're always a part of the conversation, subscribe on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast app. For even more updates, follow us on Twitter at CNN Podcasts.
When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.